If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, y'all, it's Amber just popping on to remind you to support our Patreon, as y'all always do. This episode is sponsored by patrons just like you. Just want to quickly shout out some patrons who recently joined the party. LaTanya, Angela, Molly, and Anna, or Anna. Lord, please hit me back to let me know if I'm mispronouncing it. I think it's Anna. Anyway, thank you so, so much for supporting us. Remember, you can support us on Patreon for as little as one, two, five dollars a month, and you can access the link to our Patreon via the Sci-Fi Instagram account. So you can click that link in the bio, or you can literally just look up Patreon, the Sci-Fi Side Podcast. Patrons, as you know, at the end of the month, we'll be having a book giveaway. This month's book will be Nicole Glover's The Conductors. So be sure to check out our Patreon, give what you can. All right, let's get this party started. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Side under the Believe Podcast Network. It's a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page of our marriage. Today for episode 47, we got an interview coming your way. We will be interviewing Nalo Hopkinson on her work continuing the Sandman series. Nalo is the winner baby of the John W. Campbell Award, the Sunburst Award, and the World Fantasy Award, amongst several others. Nalo is lauded as one of our most inventive and brilliant writers, and we are ecstatic and privileged to have her on the show. Before we jump into that, a couple other quick plugs. If you're looking for other ways to give to the Amber Ben saga and dynasty that we are building, here are two free options that we would love you to take. One, we just dropped a new YouTube channel. It's called Wild Wild Love. We currently have almost 3,000 subscribers, so please be sure to check that out for weekly visual content and shenanigans. Completely free. Secondly, we also appreciate all of the phenomenal Apple Podcast ratings. Sometimes we need our egos stroked and our bellies rubbed. So here are three of my favorite ones that I pulled from the queue. Loggy1234 writes, my new favorite podcast. I stumbled on Amber and Ben on TikTok and haven't stopped laughing since. These two bring me a lot of joy. So when I found out they had a podcast and one dedicated to black science fiction and fantasy, no less. Say less. I'm sure that's what they meant to say. I knew I had to subscribe. I spent the last few weeks getting caught up and I can't wait to hear more episodes. I especially love when Amber talks about how much the representation in some of these stories mean to her. As a fellow black girl, getting to share those emotions as I listen along means the world to me and I'm grateful to Amber for being vulnerable with us listeners you hear that Ben bitch she's grateful sorry let me keep going came for the laughs stayed for the incredible and thoughtful discussion do yourself a favor and check out this podcast ah thank you Loggy. one two three four fellow black girls unite all right let's check out another one this one's from Jackie R. Dixon. Favorite podcast ever. Started listening last month and hands down one of the best podcasts for people that love sci-fi and especially seeing and reading about black people and sci-fi. As a 22-year-old black woman, I remember watching the old sci-fi movies with my papa and never saw black people as the main character. Thank you, Amber and Ben, for opening the world of black people for people being the main character in one of the most awesome genres of literature and film. Jackie Rose, a Chicago native. Hey, Chicago in the building. Ah, y'all are just, oh, be still my beating heart. Last one from Leah Dame. Absolutely bingeable. I found this podcast late and I've been listening nonstop. Sidebar, let me know how the, the sound quality is improving. You know, I pride myself on producing this podcast. So them early episodes are a little rough, but we appreciate you, Benjamin, anyway. Anyway, back to the read. Amber and Ben are such a fantastic reviewing duo, made better by the fact that they're married. If you're a fan of sci-fi, this is a must listen. Ah! 
I love y'all so much. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be talking about science fiction and fantasy on a platform and that people would be listening to the shit. So I truly, not I, we truly, ain't that right, Ben? Ben, say hey to the people. Ben is literally just sitting in the bed watching me read this. Um, <laughs> and he's keeping our dog still. Gotta love that man. But I never thought I would be in a position to critique and commentate on science fiction and fantasy, especially filled and centralizing black people. So I'm so glad that y'all are enjoying. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this super just fun, badass conversation with Nalo Hopkinson. We are joined today with Nalo Hopkinson, who has won numerous awards, including the World Fantasy Award and the John W. Campbell Award, and was recently named the 37th Damon Knight Memorial Grand Master. Congratulations. Thank a lifetime you. honor from Science Fiction Writers of America. And also it's that's making Nalo the youngest grandmaster and the first woman of African descent. So that's awesome and well-deserved as well. <laughs> Thank um, you. So, but I think more importantly for our li- listeners, like basically for our listeners, uh, you know, the sister sci-fi t-shirt, I don't know, Nalo, if you've seen it, but it has oh, all yeah. the wonderful black, yeah. right? So I remember the, the, you know, the shock when I saw it first, I'm like, wait, wait that's, that's, that's my name. Is that kosher? I think it is. I feel like that's the highest honor, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Out of all. (laughs) Like t-shirt status. T-shirt status. Yep. Um, But uh, so, yeah, we are here to discuss Nalo's work on continuing uh, the Sandman universe and the amazing House of Whispers, which is a self-condemned three-volume set. And so for people who are not like big comic book fans and like comic books just going on and on and on the great thing about this three volume it's one complete story and so i think it's a nice entry into comic books in general but uh before we get into all that uh i've heard that it's said like you shouldn't meet your heroes or uh, especially your favorite writers because sometimes they turn out to be assholes uh but nalo <laughs> um i met you at a science fiction conference in hawaii and you were just super chill. And I remember like you hanging out with more of the younger scholars and like drinking beer and just like chilling. And so do you usually like hang out with your fans um, that way and just chill or were we exceptionally cool? You were exceptionally cool. <laughs> that was evident from day one. Oh, well, no. it's um, when you're in that kind of communal space, then you participate in it and and you know that stuff is always um it's sometimes the more fun part of the conference is where you get to just sort of sit and chill and talk about whatever you want to and get to know each other and each other's ideas that way um and uh it was really fun it was really fun hanging with you guys and uh just hanging with everybody because I also you know had time with some of the um some of the other scholars there who were you know full professors um it was hot as it was hot (laughs) (laughs) oh you can say whatever you want yes so to find a space where you know there's a little bit of cool or there might be a little bit of rain at night there was beer we could just sort of sit and hang that was lots of fun I'm glad y'all had a good time because this, it's funny because when Ben went to Hawaii that summer, it was the, I mean, it was maybe a week or two after our wedding. So we always joke that Ben went on a honeymoon by himself, without just, you. <laughs> uh, he, which he did. Uh, and, but when he came back and told me he hung out with one of his favorite authors playing like what what was the the cone what, game? Or yeah, something? basically, someone had to, and like you had someone else was like you change every lo- word for love with the word come after a few drinks, and so like we were. Kind of, it was hilarious. It was a- <laughs> um, imagine me being like, "Wait, did my husband just go on an orgy for the weekend, or did he actually go to a sci-fi convention?" Which I honestly probably would have been fine with either, but just give it to me honestly. About and sometimes how- there's not much difference. <laughs> exactly i was like what this was at your academic conference yeah, <laughs> yep um but more importantly let's yeah let's talk about uh your your comics um so in the original sandman series for our listeners 
just there's another world called the dreaming where all create creativity stems from and the sandman or the lord of dreams sort of rules the land and so where uh nalo's story in the house of whisper where that takes off is right after the end of this set of volumes where the lord of dreaming essentially dies and there's this rift inside uh, the land of dreaming. But something I wanted to just start off with is the original series uh, references a lot of religion and literature and something that both and I, Amber, really enjoyed about it was the amount of voodoo's, voodooism that you referenced and sort of using that as the religious base for mm-hmm. this set of stories where the original sort of fo- focused on Milton and Christianity. You know, there was other parts to it, but can you talk a little bit about uh, drawing from voodooism inside uh, this uh, series, The House of Whispers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Neil's, Neil Gaiman's um, original uh, Sandman series tended to be more European focused, though it, it did occasionally, there were touch on, on other parts of the world. Um, but he opened the door by deciding uh, years ago that there was another house in the dreaming. Um, there's, there's, two houses run by Cain and Abel, and he decided there was a third and it would be run by El Suli, who is the Yoruba goddess of, of uh, love and romance. And it's not as, she's not easy. It's not as sweet as that, but those are the kinds of things she's associated with. And she's particularly um, looks after uh, women and children and queer people. And so he decided this house was there. So when, um, they, when DC wanted to get the Sandman series going again with four new authors, they decided one of the stories would be uh, told through the House of Whispers. So when they contacted me to ask me if I wanted to pitch and if any of the four stories uh, uh, appealed to me, I latched on to Elsa Lee right away because um, I do a lot of writing that uses Yoruba spiritual beliefs uh, and, and as they have sort of changed as they've come across the waters through slavery to the Caribbean and the West. Um, Caribbean is the West, but um, you know what I mean? Um, so that's the one I pitched for uh, because I felt I had a certain familiarity with the aesthetic, with the, the way the, uh, the religion, religions now, because it's, it's sort of um, uh, spread all through the diaspora, the way they work. And um, I'm quite fond of the, the, the ocean deities, the Azuli, Yamaya, uh, Oshun. Um, so that's the one I pitched for. And it was a lot of fun throwing stuff in that the Sandman universe had not seen before in that kind of detail. Uh, and to be able to write a comic that was by no means exclusively, but largely black characters and a lot of queer characters that I um and part of the fun is that Elsa Lee traditionally uh in in the New Orleans version speaks only French so I got to use some of my my university <laughs> my undergrad level French <laughs> um the research for it was was a lot of pulling from everywhere I, I each ep- each issue has so much research in it um, that at one point I felt like I was doing uh, that some scholar is going to have just a time trying to look up all the references. I used a lot of black music references as well. At one point I have a section that's happening in Japan in one of the islands off Japan where the, the traditional um, pearl diving happens Um so I had to go and find somebody who could, could help me with the bits of language I used and the bits of culture I used. Um, it was a treatise, <laughs> those three books, those uh, 22 issues of House of Whispers. Something that I really appreciated was you differentiate between, um, I think, writing and possession. And so uh, there's these beautiful scenes where the Loa um, are invited in. Um, I'm thinking specifically of the the genderqueer character, Alter Boy. And so it, that term is writing. And it'd almost be similar to maybe catching the spirit in like Pentecostal tradition. And I just, can you speak a little bit about that, um, those pieces of just like the spirits writing and it's, they're very beautifully drawn in this series. Yeah. Domo, Domo Stanton, who did the, the inking is, is a 
genius. I mean, all the artists that worked uh, on this, every issue I, I would get the inks and then I'd get the colors and then I would get the cover and, and just chortle, like I'd be dancing around the living room going, look, I made those people and then they made them real. <laughs> um, but there is, I definitely see um, connections to the Pentecostal getting the spirit um, and uh, the sort of African, West African folkways of uh, inviting the deities to, to come and um, take part in the ceremony through sitting on someone's head is, is what they call it in some traditions. Uh, and possession is a, is a Catholic thing. It's not the way it's thought of in, in Yoruba, and there's I can, I can grasp as someone who's actually not very religious. But it is, you go to the ceremony, you might be dedicated to a particular one of the deities, and you can hope or expect that at some point during the ceremony that deity is going to um, sort of gift you, decide to um, let you embody them for, for a minute so that they can talk to their their people, so they can talk to the, the humans that they're in charge of, and it's it's a it's a religious experience. It's not a it's not something to fear, and it's not being taken over. Um, I know people come out of it and don't always know what they've done or said, but it's still it's a consensual thing. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, and what fascinates me is that, that sometimes people can do things when they are, when they've caught the spirit, because that's literally what's happened, right? You've, you've caught the deity. They can do things that they can't do otherwise. Uh, and that's really, really fascinating. Like just what, you know, human body combined with faith <laughs> can do. Um, and yes, I wanted to portray it as a beautiful thing. Um, especially that connection that that altar boy has uh, to to their uh, spiritual mother and father uh, and the artist just kind of took it and ran with it it was lovely um i want to say as someone who does not read a lot of comics that uh this was so like you said when you saw like the colors and just this was one of the more like visually easier comics to follow and it had this um even the fonts I remember always reading the spider's font versus someone else's it it, it it almost felt biblical like you're reading like this is Jesus talking the red text I was like I finally can understand from panel to panel based on how it's drawn and it um or when um Aesop I think would actually start the storytelling it was so like I love how stylistically that was broken up. And I, I so appreciate um, just that level of inclusivity. It, it, was, it, it was a further extension of exclusivity to, to non-comic book readers. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'd love to hear just a little bit about that intentionality. Did you get the prints of the fonts and you were like, I'm having a rough time discerning which character is speaking. Can we make them different textures of fonts? Because that even made me as a voice actor, create different voices for them that, that ah, those different fonts did for sure. That's beautiful and really good to hear because I, as a, a comic reader with a learning disability, sometimes have a lot of trouble following comics, like knowing which panel comes next or even recognizing characters apart. Um, so it was something that I tried to bear in mind as I was giving the, the script and the notes to the artists. And um, when you talk about fonts, you're talking about Darren Bennett, who is who did the lettering, who is just so, so smart. I learned so much from him by just how he talked about what he did. Uh, and I finally realized that I'd grown up thinking of the letterer as the person who puts the words in the, in the little balloons. No, the letterer is doing sound design. Mm -hmm. um, and so by the sounds that are on the page and the things that people say, Darren is able to tell, give you a sense of somebody's voice tones uh, of the size of the space of the distance between characters, all of that. Um, in one of the first um, scenes, I, I have a, 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 a ballroom competition and the, the, the person doing the, the calling 
Darren styled their uh, balloons with musical notes buried in the little um, the little tails so that you could get a sense of the tone in which the person was speaking. And when it comes to Aesop, I mean, I'm the ones who would send the notes to the artists and then they would try to um, uh, depict what I was describing and put their own stamp on it. So I remember saying to Darren, for Aesop's um, words, can you use something that looks like, you know, uh, uh, the way that we depict sort of older speech from the yes. Mediterranean. And he went and found some, he did it. Like he just kind of came up with something and I saw it and thought, yeah, it's both, I can, it's both legible on the page and it's legible in terms of understanding mm -hmm. that Aesop's been around a while and that he is an orator, that he's uh, a character who has been speaking to the world for centuries with his, with his um, proverbs and his sayings. Um, Darren, yeah. <laughs> It was so powerful. I was, um, we were out of town. So I was reading next to one of Ben's little nephews who cannot read. And he was asking me about like, well, why is that one dripping like uh, the spider? And why is this one regular? And I was like, oh, well, anytime you see this, that means the spider's talking. So he could visually say like, I don't know what you're reading, but you're at a point where I know what character is speaking yeah, based yeah. on the lettering. And I, I was just like, this is so simple, but so it, it, for new readers, for old readers, like everybody just like benefited from you doing that. So I really want to just thank you for that. Um, and also as like, religion goes, I... I, I essentially love, because, you know, Ben is a huge sci-fi person. I am now, you know, being uh, dragged into the cult, initiated, if you will. <laughs> yes. And I love how funny sci-fi can be in the ways that I'm learning about it. And one of the parts I think I like laughed out loud on the plane was when this one character was like looking for something to eat in the fridge and she was closing it again and looking for something. And, and I know she, that character was distressed uh, because she was like, panicking i'm not trying to give away the whole plot for the the listeners but this character was basically panicking because her husband's going to be home soon and she's trying to find a meal and she's running out of time and this opening of the fridge and closing it again was and knowing nothing's in there was described as an act of prayer and i was like <laughs> that is so funny and I, I chuckled trying not to disturb the person next to me um so can you talk a little bit about your like comedic timing and and how you infuse that in your stories because i was like should i be laughing at this i think she yeah. did this to be funny <laughs> this is hilarious uh but i was yeah i'd love to hear just a little, bit, a little bit of that comedy that came out of some of these like great parts or even with the rap parts you were saying about the music it was just like that is a great rap line for like what is happening right now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's at that point, that particular issue, um, Dan Waters and I were co-writing because I'm very, very new to comics and I started, I was really struggling. And about four issues in DC said, Would you like a co-writer? And I you know, I said, Yes, please. And um, so Dan Waters, who was also writing Lucifer, co-wrote most of the remaining issues with me. Um, and that particular one that you're talking about comes from an earlier short story that I published years and years ago where uh, it, it, we adapted it to fit because it was already using the characters of, of Ersuli and, and uh, Ogun. We adapted it to, to fit into um, the world of, of uh, House of Whispers. Um, but yeah, that, that Dan's comedic timing is also really, really good. Uh, and that particular aspect of opening the fridge and hoping that the second time you do it, there'll be something different is <laughs> not speaking from experience at all. Right, right. Uh, I was like, this is so relatable. Yeah. And sometimes, God damn it, there is something there that you didn't see before. I'm like, yes, the house gremlins are working. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I do like to use humor. Life is ridiculous. And I think a lot of uh, fiction and a lot of science fiction and fantasy, part of what they're acknowledging is that the universe is so much bigger than you and probably doesn't really care about you. There's a sort of an existential um, 
humor to that situation of, I am so, so tiny. This stuff is so important to me, but in the scheme of things, 200 years from now, who's going to remember that I do try to put in humor. And when I was first um, giving readings uh, from my prose, I would read a bit that I thought was funny and one person in the audience would laugh and somebody would elbow them. Um, and so they would stop laughing. And I realized part of the problem was they figured that an angry black woman can't have a sense of humor. <laughs> right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> So, so now I slow down when I come to those bits and sort of make room for the people who are actually listening to laugh. And then probably and, say like, you can laugh. That's <laughs> <a joke. laughs> but it's definitely in there. I mean, when you've got, you know, two young women and a girl standing on the tongue of a giant dragon, that's both terrifying and hilarious. Yes. <laughs> So I like acknowledging those moments because otherwise it would just be like deadly serious the whole time when life's not like that. I mean, we've all had moments of, of something just maybe even life and death is going on and there's a part of your brain going, wow, this is just freaky. It's just, it's weird. And um, it's in a way sort of, it will be entertaining when I'm able to tell the story if I survive, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was such a nice peace offering it, at some parts throughout the story when something so heavy like this um, domestic violent relationship or a emotionally abusive relationship is happening. And then you get a funny and you're like, I think it's okay to laugh here. Yes, yeah, it is okay yeah. to laugh here. So I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and this part of her coming into her own power too, yes. is that she, that's their saving grace all the way through until she can finally own her own powers that she does see that shit's just stupid sometimes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, collection, short story collections is Skin Folk. And it was so fun. Like I love, uh, it's like slow, cold chick. That's which is the, one. the, the And I love that short story. So I like literally lost my shit like reading the beginning of volume three. And I'm like this, you're starting to see a representation of a story you love in a different medium. And so as a, it was so much fun, but I, I, that sort of made me think like how much of Nalo was, were you able to bring into house of whispers and how much were, were you having to like, you know, be within the Sandman universe? Like what, can you talk a little bit about that balance? Um, and, and, you know, yeah, yeah. Just share a little bit about finding that balance. It was, it was, um, it was, it was fun. Um, once the four authors of the four different um, books were picked, so it was me, Dan Waters for Lucifer, Cat uh, Howard for Timothy Hunter, and Simon Spurrier for um, The Dreaming. Um, what Neil had done, what Neil Gaiman had done, was to I think it was four to six pages that were really sort of Noty. They were they were part sentences and bits of ideas that sort of said, so here's what's happening in the dreaming right now. Go. <laughs> so he laid out the stuff about the 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 contagion and the plague. And I don't think that's a big spoiler. Um, and um, then just let us do our thing. And uh, at first, uh, Cy Spurrier uh, on email got us all together and we were trying to make our four different storylines uh, converge so that there could be a big ending and that everything would work together. And then DC had a, um, a meeting of all four of us, plus Neil, plus uh, Jim Lee, who heads up DC, uh, the editors for the, the, the imprint that was doing um, the, the new Sandman books, we all went to New Orleans, which is when I decided to set the, the stories in New Orleans. Um, and we had a meeting and we had a bunch of meetings, in fact. And at the first one, Neil said, okay, I've, I've read all your, your notes for what you're trying to do, um, but I want you to make it your own. You're trying too hard. Mm -hmm. I want you to make it your own. He said, I created these, these, this world and this sandbox with all these toys in it. Um, I want you to play with them. He says, and there's certain ones I, I, I don't want you to touch right now because I have plans for them, but just do your thing. Go and 
be the righteous that you are. So we had a whole lot of control over what was happening. I think I heard from Neil once in that whole two years and he had read an, a script for an, for an issue and he, he basically said, you could make this part bigger, like make it extend throughout the world. That was it. And I gather it was very similar for the other three writers is that we were given a pretty free hand um, to do what we wanted to. Um, I did run into difficulty with uh, nudity because I wanted to have, I have a sex scene in there and I have people who get naked because, you know, people do. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and um, the scenes where I had Elzuli as a mermaid, um, she wasn't wearing a shirt. She's topless. It's, she's a mermaid. <laughs> she doesn't need a t-shirt uh, or a bra, really. It's water. You float. So they had no trouble with butts and boobs. But when it came to male nudity, male frontal nudity, all of a sudden it was no. Um, and I got a little tetchy because the editors weren't seeing that it was coming from on high. The editors mm. were fine with what I wanted to describe. And also I had a, the, the sex scene. I, I, there were things they, they didn't want me to show. And so I did uh, at the point where they, the, I wanted to have a male character nude and they said, no, the higher ups won't let us do that. We've been fighting for it. They won't let us do it. I, I emailed Neil and he said, it's the bat penis, isn't it? And I said, the what now? Because <laughs> I haven't, I don't much read the, the, uh, the floppies for the sort of superhero comics. Um, and apparently, um, not too far back, there had been an issue that for the first time showed Batman naked, full frontal. So, of course, I had to go find that issue. <laughs> <laughs> Who is frame it. <laughs> and, uh, but there were so, some, you know, complaints. So, uh, I said, fine. So, if I can't show, you know, a penis and I can't show somebody holding a sex toy, <laughs> let's stop showing even the boobs. And by that point, Domo had already drawn some, some issues that had Elsuli um, naked from the top up. And I said, all right, take her nipples out <laughs> like just make it weird like just make it like two bumps on the front of her and you can see that happening you can mm -hmm. see that progression in the comic where there's there's at first the breast like breast and then all of a sudden they don't um that was the only real problem and at that point the editors had my back mm. they just weren't able to make it fly with the, the larger imprint that's worried about you know its image and people who by comics thinking that they are only for children or like i feel like we should objectify men a little bit more and it just seems like it's like oh we can objectify women that's fine but i just want a dick sometimes you know yeah, what right? i mean like, you know <laughs> people are pretty <laughs> men are pretty like let's you know celebrate um and even simple things that there's a scene where Aesop is wrestling you know, the other characters, he's wearing, I think, something that's essentially like a toga and it rides up. No. <laughs> it could only ride up so far. We had to protect Aesop's modesty. It's like, the dude's Greek like <laughs> when he's wrestling. It's so sad. Yeah, no one's checking. We've never seen Aesop's penis. That's going <laughs> to. I know. Uh, also. <laughs> It's really so recently we watched the Sandlot and in the Sandlot, Babe Ruth shows up for a second. And Amber's like, you know, Babe Ruth was like Puerto Rican, like Dominican. Like, he was like Dominican or like he was not white. Babe He's like yeah. whitewashed Babe Ruth. And it was really cool finding like, oh, Aesop is black. Like that is a theory yeah. that people have presented. And like reading that and coming to that, uh, there's lots of moments, you know, we'll discover like this person in history was a black person. So like, can you share a little bit about sort of discovering that? Near as I can tell, Aesop's invented and invented um, much later than we think. Um, 
he may have been based on uh, a man who was um, an African taken slavery, or he may not. He may have been yeah. Greek. He may have been Tur- who knows. But I'm writing fiction, so yeah. the the, <laughs> yeah. whole, <laughs> the whole thread of of theory I could find that says you know Aesop was a black man. I'm like, sure, let's go with that because um, that gives me a way to to add richness to the character and to tie him back into the world I've created. Uh, so, and I, I decided he would be North African, not West African derived like most of the characters, but it gave me a chance to have him and um, I've forgotten the name of the, the, the character. They have, a, they have a chat at one point and they are speaking um, an Ethiopian language. So I had to go look it up. I, if it's wrong, <laughs> blame me. <laughs> Just ask for forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I, I got to have them have this really down to earth conversation about what it's like to be two black men who have lived for centuries. Mm-hmm. Like who, who do you date? <laughs> Yes. You know, and them finding actually the older woman more interesting and getting to make that joke about, yeah, that comes from a, a, a rock song. Take out your false teeth, mama, gonna suck in your gums. Yes. I that. <laughs> <laughs> so you have these two men just having this frank talk about how much do you earn doing this? And, you know, who do you date in this life when you're like centuries old? And, you know, uh, and to have it feel very, uh, African diasporic. I would like to talk a little bit about um, a, a little different. So instead of immortality, uh, I feel like you really handled and I feel like grief was a character almost in your stories, the way um, Erzuli needed to honor her uh, partner or her husband, who one of her husbands who had fallen. And also at one point, again, if you haven't read this yet, um, at one point, Erzuli is killed and then her corpse ha- is re-embodied um, Marinette. And as Marinette is transforming back to Erzuli, she's Marinette, who's sort of a, a darker version of uh, a darkest and more evil version of Erzuli, is saying, like, I don't want her grief. I don't want her grief um, because to have her power is to get all of that as well. So could you talk a little bit about how you handled grief with such care um, in the story? Uh, Old enough to have had some occasion to grieve. So there's hopefully that sensibility is in there. One of the um, challenges writing fantasy can present you with is if you're writing a God, gods technically don't die and gods technically know everything, which is why it's, it's uh, cool to be writing out to the Arbor Pantheon because neither of those is true. Um, gods can die. They can come back, but they could die and uh, they don't, they're not omnipotent. Um, and yes, there is a lot of grief in the story because fiction's about bad things happening. It's, it's not about, you know, uh, one of my, my, my former teachers said that when she started writing as Pat Murphy, she would write stories with interesting characters who would have good, good sex and sit around drinking tea and talking about their lives. And she realized she had to put them in danger. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, it, it's definitely there. Uh, I think the, the particular story thread you're talking about what happens to one of Erzuli's husbands. Um, I believe that was Dan's idea as we were brainstorming. And then we just, we just took it and built on it and built on it and built on it. Um, and what do you do if you are technically immortal, but, and, and so are, you know, your lovers, but you've put one of them in a situation where he cannot exist any longer. Mm. Um, that grief must be even more, terrible uh, and to feel responsible for it 
um, when in fact you were trying to help. Um, has got to be awful. There's also a lot of grief in the the issues that happen in New Orleans with um, the man who decides uh, he has Kotar's delusion, where you you you're not sensing things anymore. So a lot of people decide they're dead, um, and the man who decides he's dead and he's going to act accordingly that 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 must mean he's a zombie. Um, there's a lot of grief there because he's just, he's lost the ability to have pleasure in life. And then he does things as a result that cause him to grieve what he's done to other people. And the, 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 the way he chooses to pay for it is um, quite profound and quite awful. And because there is a deity who is, looking out for him, that deity decides to take on the punishment as well. So I try to make shit real. I try to make that, that we lose things all the time. Being human is about losing people we love, about losing, you know, pets we love is about um, opportunities that, that, that we lose, um, capacity that we lose. Um, there's lots of joy and there's lots of, of the sensual and there's lots of beauty in living, but I don't want to ignore, I don't want to use the fact that I'm writing about gods and there's immortality. Immortality is a huge burden. Like, is one of those characters who, because he is undying, has lost so much. Um, so I wanted to make that real as well as all the parts that are about essentially a god is a superhero. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, and and all the parts about no you know there are dragons walking and turtles the size of small islands and you know all the cool stuff I think I hope has part of giving it gravitas is making there be risk making there be loss as well uh, and so just trying to channel or to imagine because sometimes the the depth of of loss I was describing is not something. Not wood I have experienced yet, um, but trying to listen to other people talking about it and imagine what it must be like um, and put it in there as well, because I, I think that that's part of the, 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 the layers of tapestry that you're making when you do a story, uh, that, that, that the, the, the sad as well as the happy has to be in there. I want to go back to that scene where Shakpana, um, the, the one you're describing, where everyone starts getting uh, their souls back after this time away. And it is, there's this full fate, like page spread of people realizing the apathy they had of, of and then, uh, you know, this is a pandemic. And so people are like, just, I don't care. I'll just not, you know, I'll just pass off, you know, you know, Cotard's delusion to other people. It doesn't really matter. Um, that scene reading in like a COVID world where like there are people who are apathetic and don't like, it didn't really affect me. Like COVID didn't bother me. I, I don't care. And it's almost as if they lost their soul, but you have this scene where people realize, and it's like, really, it's like, you're like, whoa, like that's the ultimate grief. Um, have you thought about that in terms, because this was written uh, pre pandemic. And have you thought about that? in a post, you know, in a continued pandemic world that we're living in now, because we literally see that we see the apathy. Now people, I don't, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not giving a vaccine. Can yeah, you just talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah. And you're right. I wrote that um, probably in early 2020. So well before the pandemic um, and the apathy that people, that characters feel in the comic is, is, is literally the thing creates depression. They, they cannot feel, so it's hard for them to connect. Um, when the enormity of COVID-19 sank in and sank in at the point where every, every countries were like, all right, everybody's staying home for the foreseeable future, stay home. And my first response after uh, outright terror <laughs> was to be angry because not at, at, at 
at having to lock down at all, but at what felt like science fiction writers, scientists, anybody who's doing this kind of research. Uh, and uh, we've all been talking about these risks forever. Um, and there are parts of the world in which, you know, uh, pandemic is real. The plague, the Black Plague has not gone anywhere. It still happens. It still breaks up. Um, I have a colleague who's had it. Uh, and it felt like, weren't you listening? <laughs> like, mm. Weren't you listening? <laughs> what the scientists are trying to tell you is real. It's real. <laughs> First of all, why are our governments not listening? And why are the people who are being told what to do to keep each other safe, why are they not listening? So I was, I was for a long time just pissed off. Um, and, and that can start to own you after a while. So uh, now almost two years in, I'm now fed up of all the things we need to do to try to keep each other safe. And it's not like I've stopped doing them, but you step outside your door, you get two, you know, two steps out. You think, oh, crap, the mask. I need the fucking mask. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like wallet keys, mask. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we were just at a small gathering. We should probably get tested because in case we pass it on, we need to be able to tell people. Whew. So I understand the, I don't want to bother with it. I, I'm kind of irritated at the sort of childish tantruming of this isn't real. Yes, yeah, well, so I don't have to because just because you say you're not the boss of me, whatever it is. Um, where it's been interesting is so, as somebody who teaches science fiction fantasy and so many of the stories are about pandemics. So I have to think ahead of time, how much do I want to be, you know, triggering my, my students with this stuff. And I basically just spent two years writing a trigger warning. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. 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 Uh, I hadn't thought about it that way exactly, but he, yeah, his, that character's induced apathy because he's not naturally an apathetic man, but when it comes home and when it starts coming home to all the others, trying to imagine the enormity of what that must be like. Uh, and even then I went a little bit to humor. So that, that lovely sort of scene of concentric circles that, that mm -hmm. I think is how Domo depicted it. Um, Shakpane is still a little bit crazy himself because he's also got this, this, this disorder and he's singing soul to soul. He's singing back to life. <laughs> <laughs> back to life, back to yeah, reality. I sang all of those parts. Every time I saw back to life, back to reality. Uh, yeah, you, you balance the, the 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 horror and the humor. They they are really really close. That's often where laughter comes from. Is is that reaction to to something that's either the relief that it hasn't happened or recognition that um, things are fucked sometimes. Um, I want to ask a quick question about, uh, I guess it's not quick. Um, so you, I mean, uh, I love this so much. Um, so the whole book obviously is very diverse, like culturally people's gender expression, um, people's religions. And I want to ask you a little bit about your, process of adding so many characters main characters with physical disabilities um I would I would count Corinthian as one of those I mean he doesn't mm. have he cannot see with his eyes there's something else there but um okay. and uh R Rafe I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the character's mm -hmm. name right oh I love him but <laughs> but even so uh I would see just so faintly like a, a scene at the beach where someone was in a wheelchair as well, mm -hmm. just like mm -hmm. enjoying a beach day. And mm -hmm. so I'd love to hear about how you made a commitment to include those characters. Cause you, you just don't see that. Um, and you know, to my yeah. knowledge, you're not, you're not in a wheelchair. So how do you so well capture that experience um, mm -hmm. and like translate that in your stories? Um, it is making a commitment and trying to think my way through it all the time, because the fact is we are, 
the world we see in media shows mostly fully able-bodied people, except maybe glasses, you know, but the fact is you go out into your everyday day and we are very varied in our bodies and our capabilities and our, you know, um, and as I had to deal more with that stuff in my own body and brain, I've got uh, a learning disability, I've got ADHD, I've got fibromyalgia, so chronic pain. Um, I'm sitting here now with, with, enough strain in this side of my shoulder that it's difficult to use the arm. Um, and slowly realizing if I wanted the world to feel real and to feel like it's a world I could live in, I needed to start showing more of what the world actually is like. And it, it I don't get it right all the time because uh, like everybody else, I've been indoctrinated to, to what media should look like and feel like, or what our stories should look like and feel like. So I have to keep checking myself. I have to keep, you know, I do a, a, a draft and then at some point I have to think, what have I done with representation in this story? Is this, you know, what I want to be doing? So even having um, different sized bodies, uh, having uh, trans bodies, having, um, uh, the 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 bit at the beach with the person in the wheelchair was actually something I'd seen a few months earlier when I was I was in Trinidad and Tobago and went to Caracas Bay and there was a dad and and daughter and and she had she was using a wheelchair that had um, the wheels were uh, big puffy floats so that mm. her dad could push her out into the surf and she was having a high old time. Um, and something happens when I can do more of that inclusivity and representation. It's like my shoulders go down from around my ears. It's like mm. the world makes sense in ways that stories often don't when everybody can you know, run and jump and skip and everybody's got the same level of, of, of uh, uh, the same type of cognitive development as everybody else. Uh, and everybody's slim and, and well, pretty much everybody is beautiful. I mean, people are beautiful, but um, it's making space and making sanity for me um, that I know if I need it, everybody else needs it too. So that's part of the commitment to keep doing it. And it makes stuff just more interesting to write with the character of Rafe. There's a scene where, he uses a wheelchair, uh, his, 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 and he can use his upper body, his lower body needs help, and he's modded his wheelchair. I put, I put a bit of fantasy in there where he's hyper-modded his wheelchair so that you know, it, it's, it, it functions um, so very well for him. But he and his girlfriend have been uh, essentially camping. They've been sleeping out on the, on, the, on the ground in the desert overnight, and he wakes up and realizes that she's gone and that she's in trouble. And he's going to go get her. He's going to go, you know, do his best to get her out of trouble. Uh, so I had to look up. If you're a person with that kind of body and you need to get back into your wheelchair, how do you do it if you don't have anyone to help you? Bless YouTube and bless people who just love teaching. We're just like, mm -hmm. here's how you do things. I mean, some of the, the particular vernacular from New Orleans was from me watching YouTube where people from New Orleans were like, no, we don't speak like that. Here's how we speak. Right. right. Anything. Oh, Josen, I still don't get what that means, but I'm about to use it in a sentence. <laughs> so I had to look up how somebody like Rafe would get back into his wheelchair. Mm. And then I have him setting out fast as he can to go after his girlfriend. He can see her disappearing into the distance. And what the artists and the colorist, I think that was that still John Rauch doing colors at that point? I don't remember. But that one panel of Rafe that sort of superhero panel of Rafe in his chair and all the lines of the drawing are, are motion. And there's even like, um, uh, I think they call them emanata spreading out from him that sort of emphasizes the speed and determination and forward motion. And I burst into tears because on top of it, Rafe's a man of color and he's trans uh, and he's using his wheelchair to do what he needs to do. And he's being heroic in that moment. I didn't realize how much I needed to see that mm. because that's people do that every day. 
people of all kinds of ability are heroic every day. And to just see it meant so much to me. I want to like blow up that panel and, you know, wallpaper my walls with it. It, it was uh, what the artists did to bring that to life was really humbling and really needful. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's um, at first you can think of it as a challenge of something that holds you back, but actually it's something that pushes your creativity. Uh, and I, I know I haven't pushed it as far as I could yet, and I will keep doing so because the response I get from readers tells me how much it means. The response from my own self when I see it tells me how much it means. Mm. Um, and if I can make a little bit of space, if I can normalize something that it actually is normal. <laughs> I, I uh, felt, I mean, I think, and everybody wins when when people do that. I remember thinking like, I think this is the first time I've ever seen a person in a wheelchair at the beach in a, in a story. Or I remember thinking, even with Alter Boy, I was like, oh, I totally understand why people want to cosplay now because I want to be this person or, and I think that was one of the, there, there were so many firsts with this comic book that I really was like, oh, now I understand why people love comic books. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I really want to just thank you for that because I hadn't experienced that before. Um, just any main like a main character in a wheelchair and we didn't need the origin story of how they got in the wheelchair it, it's irrelevant it's just like this is who they are now or um you know as people are getting their souls back and as his girlfriend is getting her powers i i knew this wouldn't happen with you but in some stories you'll be like and at the end the character in the wheelchair gets their legs to work it's like that doesn't need to happen this is he actually says no i'm fine thanks i'm, I'm fine self made right. man <laughs> uh, i i just so appreciated that that felt so powerful for for everybody um with those choices that you made thank you i did with that want both choices to be there like so i, I didn't want to be saying oh you shouldn't want to change if you use a wheelchair. I wanted him to be able to choose uh, so that I wasn't negating one in order to show the other. You do have to do a lot of thinking, but you're right in science fiction fantasy. You should be thinking anyway. <laughs> you should. And you, when you talk to people, I've, I've talked to some people who are blind and of course they've been asked a million times, like if, if someone gave you the ability to see tomorrow, would you want to? And they're like, no, I've I, all of my other skills are heightened due to my blindness. Why would I want to see tomorrow or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's so interesting. And so I, I appreciate like what you said about that. Thank you. Yeah. It's been hard for me to understand too, until trying to depict it and uh, the, but when I relate it to the way that, that non-black people sometimes ask me about blackness as though it's sort of a separate state that somehow mm -hmm. I, I could consider not being, and I think what, no, I don't know what it's, people ask me if, you know, are you angry about opportunities lost by being a black woman? I'm like, I, I'm sure that's happening. I'm dead sure that's happening. My blackness has nothing to do with that. Right. <laughs> like That's them. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, and I don't know what it's like to live in that other magical world where, you know, my privilege would be ramped up. I'm fine with this skin. So when I think about it that way, um, I can begin to understand and having to create characters for whom it's, it's normalized. I also wanted to normalize uh, the growing relationship between him and the person who becomes his girlfriend that at no point does she think, does this mean I'm queer now? She's met yes. a cute guy. He likes her back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everything else, they just deal with as they come along. As they go along. Um, I love that. Yeah, I'm particularly fond of those two. Yeah. Well, we are just about out of time. 
but I do want to say that um, going back to Skinfolk, there's a really great story in there called Something to Hitch Meat To, which is about a porn editor. And I remember reading that story. <laughs> oh, switching gears. Oh, yeah. Sorry, switching. <laughs> but I have a reason. Amber, Am- <laughs> Amber's like, Ben, your questions are a paragraph long. You need to ask a single. <laughs> we were like reviewing the questions right before we get on the call. She's like, Ben. Just ask your damn question. I'm like, I know, I'm just so verbose. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, something to hitch me to, which is about a porn editor. And I think I, I lent my copy to a friend. I, I think Anansi shows up yeah. in mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So it's another Anansi story. Love it. And I think it would be great for like a love, death and robots, which is a Netflix. <laughs> I, I would, it would, it would fit perfect. Right. I feel like it would fit perfectly in that. But um I, I was just curious because you did have um, uh, Brown Girl and and uh, The Ring made into a, a film. Great book. I love that book. Um, Sister Mine, which, you know, deals with merfolk. And so, you, you know, just a lot of things that I think would transfer really well into another medium and and sort of you taking your work and working to another medium. So I was just curious, you know, what other projects you have working on? Are we going to see some more? different Nalo uh, comic uh, comics coming out or maybe some, you know, short films or I, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of your work could really transfer in so many different mediums. So um, film is pretty much out of my hands. Uh, people approach me or they don't. And uh, mostly they don't. Um, at, in the beginning, what would happen is uh, producers or directors would approach me and then look into what the fundraising would be for a film made from my work and realize that they couldn't afford it. Like, uh, it was like, can we represent this many characters with Caribbean accents? Yes, (laughs) but the will has to be there with the funders. Can we, can we do this? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can we do this kind of, or you'd have to actually look for them. (laughs) Yeah. Not, Not hire somebody who, is a perfectly fine actor, but is Jar Jar Binks in the Caribbean. Um, the the special effects that uh, people were taking for granted with with uh, whiter science fiction movies, all of a sudden too expensive um, with mine, that's happening less. But still, I don't expect um, film of my work soon and and that's not something i i i you know i don't go out there and try to make it happen the filmmakers come to me if at all um comics yes i'm going to keep writing it and, and i'm uh, about to do Yay. a project with, with two a uh, graphic novel project with two very fine award-winning artists who've been in the business much 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 longer than me so although i'll be writing the script i'll be learning from them a lot um and have been begun with my with my uh primary partner writing treatments for uh scripts um that's the kind of thing you sort of do not expecting necessarily that anything will come from it um and i don't even know what role i would want because I'm, I'm not a director i don't know that i want to be a writer on something like a tv show that's a whole nother set of that's a whole nother career and not when I'm sure I want to be involved in. I don't know, but we're doing this. Um, and I also, I, I make art. I make uh, visual art as well. Uh, and that often is also fantastical and futuristic. Um, had my first piece in a virtual uh, group exhibition at James Madison University uh, a few months ago. Congratulations. That's Thank awesome. you. That was fun. So yeah, I, I I naturally have I've always made stuff. Words is just what I get have been known for, but I I make in other media as well. Um, so yeah, there there's there's stuff. The, the graphic novel for sure. Um, my plan is to write that script this fall. <laughs> Says the person with ADD. So it, God knows when it'll get finished. <laughs> Make them, they can wait. We can wait. I'm going (laughs) to, we will wait for you. I'm going to make sure that we include a link to your Patreon because you can see your artwork there and it will include a link to your um, website as well. Um, It's, it's really, uh, I've seen some of your three dimensional. I think, didn't you give one to 
LeVar Burton or no? Yes, I think I gave him one of the, my little felt mermaids. I have yeah. a thing for, for black mermaids and I think I gave him one. I think he gave it to his daughter. Yeah. Amber, Amber does too. So yeah. <laughs> I love black mermaid stories. That yeah. Give me yeah. Time, so yeah. Here's was my, I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and you I have like to read like sister mine you're gonna have the to read little sister mermaid mine. starring a black girl it's great no. but I, I want this story. i want yeah mermaids are fierce mermaid yeah right? mermaids are fierce and and um caribbean and west african derived mermaids in the caribbean if they take you into the water they'll say you eat salt or you eat fresh and if you say you eat salt that's okay because that's fish but if you say you eat fresh that's like her so she'll kill you <laughs> this is good write that down this I is a, this is advice we need um uh, nalo this has been such a treat uh we've been uh having a conversation with nalo hobsonson writer of house of whispers and writer of future comics and other wonderful things creator of three-dimensional object objects wow i don't know how to speak um nalo thank you so much for joining us today Thank you. This was a lot of fun and good to see you again, Benjamin. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side Podcast. Next week for episode 48, we are watching a TV show, y'all. So we're going to be watching Luke Cage on Netflix, starring Mike Coulter and created by Chio Hadari Coker. We're going to be watching episodes one through five, and then we're going to have a second episode where we binge watch episodes six through ten. So be sure to check out Luke Cage season one. I know it's an old show, but listen, we got to go back. We got to critique. We got to analyze. Also, Mike Coulter ain't too bad to look at baby so we will see y'all next week for episode 48 be sure to binge luke cage and we'll see y'all next week for the show bye y'all thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube